Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the August 29, 2017 edition of Ask a Leader. I'm going to dedicate the show. I don't de do dedications very often, but I'm going to dedicate it to those survivors of Hurricane Katrina who are now officially survivors of Hurricane Harvey. Imagine what they've endured, folks. While Mother Earth burns, churns, and floods, local Citizens Climate Lobby chapter founders Mark Tabert and Virginia Bernal will bring to the show their many congressional updates and their latest suggestions for how to overcome one's current sense of helplessness. In the second half, Ani Zonfeld of Muslims for Progressive Values will return to weigh in about how political forums are performing or not performing to bridge political and cultural gaps. She's convened a few of herself, including last month's Politicon in Pasadena. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show. It's Houston here. We have a problem. Extreme weather is shutting down homes facilities, infrastructure in our Gulf of Mexico backyard. My first guests are Mark Tabbert and Virginia Bernal, Citizens Climate Lobby organizers with the latest in climate change activism. Mark Tabbert, co-founder of the Newport Beach area chapter of the Citizens Climate Lobby, is responsible for spawning new chapters around the county. Mark lives in Newport Beach, and he's also in the 48th Congressional District. These numbers, folks, we'll be keeping track of some of these district numbers. Mark's appeared several times on the show at, at representing Citizens Climate Lobby and appeared most recently on my colleague Calvin Gantz Wednesday 5 p.m. show about three Wednesdays ago roughly. You can go to Calvin's website Awoke and see what Mark had to say with his colleague. Virginia Bernal, not a novice in activism, first became involved in climate work when she worked on the Orange County for Climate Action. She joined Citizens Climate Lobby in 2015. She lives in the 46th Congressional District. She's continued as Citizens Climate Lobby liaison and is co-founding with Gwen Conaway, a new chapter in Santa Ana. Hello, Lou Correa, they're here. She's now retired from her nursing career related to a lifelong concern over economic underdevelopment and the welfare of women and children around the world. Her career as a registered nurse included maternal child health at UCI Medical Center and later as a lactation consultant. She matriculated at UC Berkeley, earned her BA in geography at Cal State University Long Beach, and her associate's degree in the registered nursing program at Saddleback Community College in that order. So both join me today in studio. Welcome, Virginia Bernal. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Mark Tabbert. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, we do have, it's like you can't get a bigger elephant in the room. We're going to talk about Houston. It's it's now in the one editorial in the New York Times this morning talking about the Gulf of Mexico's hit the highest temperature. It's never been at the lowest at 73 degrees. It's 73 degrees there. That's what keeps feeding. The rainfall that we are hearing is not abating and is moving, fanning out the larger areas of not just Texas, but Louisiana. So we're, we're going to talk about that is it couldn't be plainer what's going on around. So maybe we could open first with what your most recent updates are with your congressional visits, both at Capitol Hill in D.C. and with the delegation's Orange County offices. Virginia, would you like to start? Okay, well, I have lobbied two years in D.C., but this year I decided to work in districts, so I think Mark will be able to tell more about uh, D.C. happenings this year. Can you compare what it's like in either in the district versus in the D.C. offices, how that works for people who aren't as privileged with this kind of activism right, as you? Right, yeah. Well, it certainly I feel much more comfortable in district. I feel like I'm at home. I am getting to know some of my, uh, what, co co-inhabitants of this place. Yes. Uh, whereas in DC, yeah, thank you. Uh, whereas in DC, I felt you know, like I was in a foreign country. It was a very powerful experience. I loved it. Very energizing. But then perhaps what I'm also comparing is there d we have different uh, Congress people this time. I was uh, before 
lobbying Loretta Sanchez's staff. Right. Now I'm trying to get to know Lou Correa and his staff. In his first term, then. He Congress. has been extremely accessible to the constituents. He, we have actually visited him his office twice. Okay. And we've seen him attend multiple town hall meetings. He's had his open house for his office. Very, very accessible. Yeah, so okay. I do like being able to just go without having to fly and uh, spend a huge amount of money to say a few, have a few minutes with a congressman. It's powerful, but you can do it in district as right. well. Right, and Virginia, when you meet in the district offices, do you have more constituents with you? Definitely. So you're leveraging a little bit more. And are you meeting more with staff than you are with the office holders, or does you're catching the office holders when they're in recess at the district offices? Right, yeah. So... In terms of the number of constituents, I felt very lonely before. Uh, We were scattered in the different chapters as one of the motivations for starting a new chapter in Santa Ana, Anaheim area. So the first time we lobbied uh, this summer, we saw the district director, Claudio Gallegos. All of us were constituents. It felt great. Okay. Uh, The second time, we visited with uh, Lou Correa himself, the congressman, and it was great. He gave us half an hour to talk with him. And we're just getting to know him. Is he in the Congressional Climate Caucus? Has he joined? Not yet. Not yet. Is that that a talking point when you go in? Definitely. We would like him to uh, see what Republican congressman he gets along with and try to entice him to um, join the caucus. That may be holding him back then? Because we know, as Mark has explained many times on the show, the Congressional Climate Caucus membership is a pairing of both exactly. parties. Exactly. And maybe that's what's holding up. He can't find a Republican to come in with him. Mm-hmm. He's got a few in the district, in the in the the county that could certainly pair up with him. It's, yeah, uh, they're reading so. the same uh, news clippings that he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's hope so. He his um, you know again with Democrats we cannot take them for granted. Uh, we need to learn more about his points of view. The experience in Washington State uh, with the carbon tax initiative, uh, uh, I-732, we assumed Democrats and environmentalists were going to be extremely supportive, and they were not because of difference of opinions of how we could address climate change. So we can't assume, uh, like I say, we're still learning what our representative thinks and what concerns him. So we're trying to, you know, find common ground, explain to him what the policy we recommend is. Uh, we certainly believe very strongly in carbon fee a dividend as one of the best ways to start the process effectively of uh, reducing emissions. Does he, uh, this is a little bit of um, right field, but it's it's a central concern is, does he have a job creation factor in his district that relates to improving the climate change picture? Do, I mean, we know that in the 45th, there's tons of jobs that are related to climate science and improving, lowering the carbon footprint but does he can he claim that kind of economic activity in his congressional district or maybe mark has an idea i'm not familiar and that's one thing i certainly am in the process of learning okay. do oh. you know anything mark you know i can't comment on it either really i um lou correa is new to climate change in a sense because at the state level where he's from climate it wasn't the big issue so in a sense he's working on something that's fairly new climate so carbon fee and dividend for instance our policy right he needs to learn about that. That's where he's at in the process. Wow. Okay. Did that surprise you a little bit? It was a little surprising. No, I don't think it. No, it doesn't. That's his background. He was in state government for I don't know how many and years. And he's in real. He has a real estate credential, and he's JD, but maybe he's not made those moves into the science and technology. I'll say this about Lou. I spent. I spent probably. I spoke at a, an event where Lou spoke, and I was like the opening act, and he was the <laughs> main event. And Lou spent 30 minutes talking to me, mostly about health care. And he said to me something I thought was very interesting. He said, someday the Republicans are going to need the Democrats on this issue. So he was able to foresee that. And he was a brand new guy. He wasn't even, you know, he'd been in Congress like two weeks. So Lou is very politically astute. I think he's very, very politically astute. Uh, That's one reason he's a Democrat in Orange County is he gets to play both sides pretty effectively. Not everybody can do that. And he won by huge margins, so he really, he, he leveraged quite a bit. I think he will find a partner. I think he will end up being on the caucus. He'll mm-hmm. find somebody. He's got Ken Calvert and Corona to work with. And Ken Calvert, we think, is close he's to moving. joining. Yeah, okay. Uh, he's also got Mimi Walters. Uh, Are you talking with her when you're talking about with getting Lou Crayon to pair with him? Is that a talking point? Well, 
I'm not I'm not the liaison to either one of these people. Okay, you're in the but I know right. These are just ongoing conversations we're having. Seeding, um, seeding all kinds of plans. But yeah. Mimi Walters voted with the re, with the Democrats. 46, de, 46 Republicans voted with all the Democrats to maintain funding for climate change research in the House under on a defense appropriations bill. So that's huge. And Mimi Walters just in her town hall meeting recently. It was over the phone. It was over the phone. She said that climate change is caused by human beings. So... Mimi's coming. She's got her toe moving. in the water. Mimi's coming around. Um, and we're very optimistic. Mimi has a daughter we know that's very concerned about the climate change and environmental issues. We think that's an influence on her, a positive thing. So we're optimistic. Okay. Yeah, and Virginia? one thing I'd like to add is that we really cannot arrange who they join up. Of course. Yeah, it's, it's a matter for them to decide who they can talk to, persuade to join with them. So, As they have their own relationships right. that they do business with, right. they're cutting deals. You know, Ed Royce joined. He was the last Republican to join. And In Ed Orange? Royce, I'm happy to say, called our office oh, he to did. tell us that we're going to announce today. So they, our relationship with Ed Royce is strong enough that he calls us now. Oh, his his people call us to inform us of the good news. And who again did he pair with? I, it was a person up in Washington State, okay. but I I don't know the name. Okay. We only you know well, we focus so much on Republicans here in Orange County. He's accountable to to you to CCO. That's that's a big significant step. Right? We've developed a relationship with a lot of members of Congress like this. Um, Steve Knight up in he covers the area around. Is it um, Palmdale? He's between here and Bakersfield, right. uh, where the amusement park is. Santa Clarita? Santa Clarita. Uh, he called our Santa Clarita office to inform us also. Okay. Much to our, you know, pleasant surprise. Because we had no idea he was going to do that. Oh, wow. I mean, so we there are some others that are right where he was back when. There are, there's, there have to be quite a few that are poisoned. And I, is your, when I think about your I don't think you're, well, you're sort of converting them because they were not active. They were not a, a committed to this kind of policymaking to the carbon tax. But if you could plot a, a chart, of the dots where, the, what does the line look like? Is it it's it exponentially curving upward in terms of how many are signing on to the carbon tax? We're triple the number today of okay. Republicans in the, in the caucus compared to where we were at, when Trump entered office. So we're, we were 16 or 17, and now we're 52. Okay. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I used two but different numbers. <laughs> we're, we were 16 or 17 re total, and now we're 52 total okay. in the caucus. Yeah. Yeah, yes, was, Virginia. Yeah, it was interesting because uh, we lost five uh, members of the caucus with the elections, oh, and they were replaced very soon, like by mid-month or so, they were replaced. So uh, people are jumping on really fast. Donald Trump has turned out to be a real blessing uh, in disguise. And I know that's hard for a lot of people to hear, but he's, in the past, Democrats could sit on the fence and say, we believe in climate change, and that was enough. But now, with Trump in office and Pruitt as a s secretary in EPA, people are thinking, oh my God, we got to do something. So Democrats are now ha feeling pressure to do something. And Republicans have long understood that climate change is real. Denial in Congress is way overblown in the press and has been for a long time. Now, we've talked about that many, many times, and we know that the staff are on off record. The staff is like, what, 95 percent supported the carbon tax. They just can't move as long as the Republican orthodoxy is not to support the tax. Every year we go to Washington in June, and what I remember from our June conference three years ago is that science only came up in our conversations with our members of Congress and staff 3% of the time. Well, and now? So science, science has long been a buried issue. One, one thing about the um, Climate Solutions Caucus is that we, we cannot assume that they will go with for the policy we recommend, which is carbon fee and dividend. They are exploring solutions, but we are very hopeful, and there's indications that they do favor this particular policy. The caucus has met with the Republican group that's favoring a, they have a carbon dividend plan. The carbon dividend plan is almost like our plan in many, many respects. In fact, we're so close to them that they call us a strategic partner. Wow. And these are Republicans with big names from the old days. This is George Shultz, James Baker right. III, Hank Paulson. 
And these people have met behind closed doors with the caucus, and they're talking their carbon dividend plan. Our plan is better, but we don't talk about the differences today. We're talking, we're trying to get the conversation started so that Congress holds hearings. And since we only have a limited amount of time, Claudia, I'd like to say this. Anyone listening to this show that cares about climate change should know two things. Congress is waiting to hear from you. Congress knows mm -hmm. what to do about climate change. They're going to pass a price on carbon somehow, but they've got to hear from us. They've got to get pressure from the public. So what you can do as an individual, if you don't have a lot of time, is talk to your friends about climate change, let them know what you think, ask them what they think, have a nice conversation about it, and also let your congressman know that you care about the issue. Those are the most, two most effective things you can do if you want to do something today. So for those of you who've just joined us, my guests are Mark Tabbert and Virginia Bernal, citizens climate lobby activist with the latest on climate change, caucusing in D.C. and throughout Orange County. And I want to find out if you see that Hurricane Harvey is like the big talking point, not the elephant in the room. I mean, it's, the, it's a central issue. It's so catastrophic. And there's editorials right and left talking about science saw this thing coming and we're we're a, a bit appalled with how devastating this is but more hurricane events are coming whether it's this season or many 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 seasons from here on the intensity of this storm the intensity of wildfires and all this how will that figure into your script when you meet your next congress delegations well you know, I like, I, I think like a nurse, I was a nurse at one time, and I, nurses tend to focus on prevention. Ah, and powerful. we want to prevent disease. I see Harvey Hurricane as a disease manifestation. Um, in trying to persuade uh, Congress people, I'm not sure I would, you know, right now the focus is on helping, um, humanitarian help, helping people in distress. But we need to have a long-term view of how can we prevent these things. This is just the calling card of climate change. This is not the whole deal. It's going to get so much worse. And many scientists consider that even the existence of civilization might be at risk eventually. So I think it's a very severe problem. We need to prevent it. We need to do something urgently. So do you talk about diseases as a, as a health care official, as a metaphor with your delegations? I have not yet. It certainly is in my mind often. Like I say, I've, we met with Congressman Lou Correa. Right. We're, we're trying to listen more than talk at this point. Okay, that's a We want to learn uh, more about his perspective so we can address his concerns. Mark, what are you going to do with this storm? Well, I've actually written an editorial this morning. Oh, or it's an op -ed. in I'm okay. hoping to submit to the register. All right, um, we'll be looking for that. You know, the truth is the people in Houston are not going to be the ones to bring up the subject of climate change. They've just gone through a devastating, terrible event. My sister's actually living in Houston. Oh, wow. And uh, her friends, who live a little closer to the river, moved into their home last night. And she, her, <laughs> her email to me last night was, well, we have plenty of water and plenty of wine, so we're okay. <laughs> but her street is now flooded. It's, it's reached the... But do they have power? She lost her power last night. Okay. Apparently, they still had candles, and they could still find the wine. <laughs> but, um, but stuff runs out. It, and then she's in a very upscale neighborhood in Kingwood, Texas, uh, which is north of Houston, about a good 35 miles. Wow, that far out still. Well, yeah. And, they've, you know, I'm from Houston. We've gone through hurricanes all my life and all her life. This is totally different because the ocean is that much warmer. And because air holds that much more moisture, so when it dumps, it dumps. And the frustrating thing to me about this event so far is that I listened to Sunday Night News on PBS, and they mentioned climate change one time. Somebody said it. And then last night on the yeah. NPR, yeah. they talked about climate change, and they asked this scientist or this science correspondent, whoever he was, talk about it. And he didn't make the obvious connection between this flood he talked about it being part. He said it's yes and no. He said yes and no. But the truth is, it's all yes. The truth is, he didn't tie it to the South Carolina floods. He didn't tie it to the Louisiana floods. He didn't tie it to the Colorado floods. It was so devastating just three years ago. 
He didn't, he didn't tie it to the wildfires that happened in Texas that, that burned 1,600 homes and killed two people and burned I don't know how many square miles of forest land. They lost millions and millions of trees in Texas in 11, 2011. And now they've had three 500-year floods in the last three years. But he doesn't understand because he's a scientist. He limits what he says. So it's obvious to me as an individual that, <laughs> that the book told me 20 years ago, climate change brings bigger storms, more rain all of a sudden in deluges. So I know this is climate change and I see it all the time. But a scientist can't talk that directly at it. It got politicized. But and here's weaponized. what you can say. Yeah. We, I met with Republicans last night in, in Stanton. We spoke to the Republican oh, club. That's right. You had CCL meeting yesterday, right? And uh, what I would have done if I had been leading that meeting is simply say, here are the 11 words I'm going to base my whole conversation on. Scientists agree. It's happening. It's bad. It's us. But we have hope. But there's hope. If you disagree with science being real at this point, I can't talk about it with you tonight. I'm simply going to say, go to, the, go to the universities locally and talk to anybody who talks about climates professionally, and they'll say, scientists agree, it's happening, it's us, it's bad, but there's hope. And then get on and talk solutions. Well, would you like to take up what's going on with the the California legislature because the, the eyes are on what states are doing in the vacuum of national leadership leading the way on climate science climate change so is there is something in the at Sacramento level that you want tell us you're involved in well we what was it last year was it that we went up to California to try to support what was it, a uh, proposal or a recommendation to Congress? Are you talking SB 775? No, actually, before that, remember California. Oh, back last year in August. Yes, when California legislature did an endorsement of carbon fee and dividend, basically asking Congress, the U.S. Congress, to try to, um, to pass legislate it. this plan. Um, and uh, we were very supportive of SB 775, which had included in it, it was a cap-and-trade and carbon fee dividend hybrid kind of thing where we really like some of the uh, measures in it but that did not was not chosen nevertheless we in CCL really praise any kind of effort that moves uh, the reduction of emissions we, so we celebrate the fact that California is going ahead in doing this even though it's not a preferred choice right I'll be honest I was very disappointed that Brown did what he did under this this new current legislation SB 775, which was, uh, which was supported by Kevin DeLeon, at one point, suddenly he disappeared from that support. And I'm sure there's some kind of political stuff going on that I don't know about. He, meaning Governor Brown. Or, right, or something, something yes. behind the scenes between Brown and DeLeon. Because okay. DeLeon was a supporter of 775. And who else was a supporter of 775? We're not only environmentalists and activists like us, but also justice groups. Mm-hmm. Cap and trade tries to do two things in California which are really diametrically opposed. One is they're trying to deal with a problem that's long-term, and we care about it in the suburbs, right? But we're not breathing the bad air that the people in Palos Verdes or uh, Well, Wilmington. Wilmi I've had a guest, an, a, an environmental justice activist here from Wilmington neighborhood where all right. those refineries are, and there is such a huge level of public health problems there and and the, there's no yeah. buffer it's on top of their houses and schools those kids suffer from asthma and cancer respiratory diseases they should if i was there or if you were there if our people from our rich community of newport beach and costa mesa area and santa ana if we were there we would demand we'd air be filters at the schools we would have air conditioning we would have filters oh we'd be moving those we'd, we'd say be, and the buffers and the refineries would listen to us because we would have the influence but the and so the justice people supported SB 775. I'll say one other thing about local actions along the same yes, line. Yes, do. Is Washington, D.C. is right now getting very close to passing a city or a district carbon tax. It's done by a woman named Camilla Thorndike, who used to be in our chapter here in Orange ah. County. And Camilla Thorndike, if you, anybody wants to see her, look up the Democratic the platform committee where she testifies. It's Camilla Thorndike. 
and it's Camilla C-A-M-I-L-A Thorndike. Watch her testify to the Democratic convention, uh, Platform Committee, mm-hmm. and they voted for her plan, which was And they put that, plan. that was a plank in she's, the platform last year. Yeah, she started a group called Hashtag Put a Price on It, and that's basically like a junior CCLer. It's really for young people. It's for the people listening to this show probably at UCI. And, uh, you know. And that's, I was going to ask you about that. Are there additional organizations that are coalescing? Now, put a price on it is not an organization. It's, I guess, it's no, they a are theme. An organization. It's an organization and a theme. They, and they're working with CCL, Citizen Climate oh, Lobby? Camilla, uh, she speaks at our conference. She does okay. breakout sessions at our conference. We support her. There's a very close tie. Camilla Thorndike basically is a you know, 29-year-old woman who I think will someday be a senator. Okay, well, one to watch there. Spotting, oh, she's a person. She's unbelievable. At she, <laughs> we just need a few more of her, and we'll pass this thing in Washington. Yeah. <laughs> so, are there any other groups that you want to mention? There, the uh, Beyond Dirty Fuels. Are they a possible coalescing group? I, you know, when you you sent me an email about that group, and I ha- I didn't know the name, but that's the Sierra Club name, and I talked to my friends at the Sierra Club, who are also with CCL. And it's a little bit frustrating that the Sierra Club is not prescriptive. They still talk about carbon footprint. They still talk about things we could do in the United States. But from our mindset, it's not a, it's not a global answer. We support carbon fee and dividend, which goes across international borders. So that if we do something in the United States, China's gonna have to do it, and India's gonna have to do it, and Argentina. So I, I'm a member of the Sierra Club. I love those people. They're doing good stuff. but. I'm hoping they do a little bit more prescriptive stuff. Well, thank you, Mark. I want to know if there's any other organizations that you see that are joining. And and I appreciate your breaking down those that are offering leadership in taking these steps and with those that are sort of more diffident about how to move. We're dealing with, I think, a leadership vacuum and that, that I see the importance of prescriptive measures advocated by any and all citizens groups corporations are doing the same thing i interrupted virginia let me i'll just finish real quickly virginia corporations we have a group now called the business climate leaders they're getting their some big corporations that are being everything but prescriptive they're talking to congress and all they have to do is ask for climate change action you know if they do that that's a big plus and they're starting to do that okay and we think that's going to grow we think there's a lot of pressure because again trump is a guy it stirred everybody up. He stirred the pot. Well, yeah, <laughs> the costs, the costs. Yeah. Yes, Virginia. Yeah. I just wanted to mention one local organization that, uh, though not connected directly with CCL, it has many common members between, Who's <laughs> between that? us. That's uh, Orange County for Climate Action. They want to focus on local action only. And what they're doing is working, uh, trying to work with municipal governments to persuade them to uh, move towards community choice energy or community choice aggregation. So right. they're trying to go to city councils and move that in that direction. Again, it's just another effort, and I think we need all of the above in terms of uh, climate action. And there, it's, we need to be very vigilant about that. Maybe we, people could be following Orange County for climate action to make sure that there's not a federal codification that interferes with that local action because that's under pressure of being preempted. A good observation. On the yeah. federal level. So we, it, that is not, not anything we take And people that are converting to solar and they want to use a different energy distributor and that, that could all be totally interfered with. So, right. so there, we'll, we'll just close with your commenting on a Dr. Jennifer Brown submitted in the Department of Energy a paper that she was told by memo that climate change and global warming needed to be excised from her publication. So I didn't know if you wanted to comment on that's still happening, Houston. So, You know, I'm not really understanding that who she is or what, you know. She's in, de- in the Trump administration's Department oh. of, of Energy. So she's been told by the Department of Energy that she needs to censor those words. They don't belong in there. So it's sort of a we keep infantilizing the public here on the top. Yeah. The I just team. hope, it, all I can say is I just hope there's a backlash because this is such an affront to just common sense and the knowledge that even the most uninformed person has that I hope that there's a backlash. I hope I'm not just speaking from a little protected bubble of 
climate activists. So um, would either of you, both of you, like to tell us about any upcoming events? We know that in Stanton you had a, a, a new group that you're spawning and a new chapter there, but any events people need to sign up and schedule in their calendars? Well, if people want to, if people want to look at our website oh, yes. and find, we're easy to find on the Citizens Climate Lobby website. What we're working on most of the time right now is getting endorsements from cities. So we have a supporter in Newport Beach on the city council who's trying to help us pass a resolution. She'll, they'll remain nameless at this point until we get further down the road. We're meeting with Costa Mesas. We've met with all their members of city council so far, meeting with them again Wednesday. Okay. Uh, we have a person working. Do you want in. people to so join? So we you? have in, virtually in probably almost a dozen cities right now in Orange County, we're working to pass resolutions that ask Congress to pass fee and dividend on a national level with border tariffs. All right. Virginia, any other? Well, you want I'm people to join you at the district? Uh, oh, the recess is ending in, at next at the end of Labor Day weekend, the, the congressional recess. So, but I don't know if there's any well, events. I, I would just like to uh, do a little plug. I don't know how many residents from Santa Ana, Anaheim, or Cherry are, are listening, but uh, we certainly welcome people to try to attend some of our chapter meetings, uh, which we're still planning, uh, but they can reach us through the website. Citizens Climate Lobby, the local, the go to the tab for the local chapters right, for Orange County, right. and they can find yeah. out when it, those Yeah, you can find a chapter are. on our website. Yeah, right. In the chapter. Anywhere in the country. Right. Anywhere no. in the world. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in our chapters called North Central, Orange County North Central. Yeah. Good to yeah, know. We're, we're if small you find one chapter and you're in the wrong chapter, <laughs> we'll, we'll connect you to the right one. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, thank you. I really appreciate you're a model in how to get legislative action accomplished with this the focus and the persistence. And I am using in my conversations with everybody is there's necessary tests and there's sufficient tests. It's necessary to what you're doing. Sufficient is when finally you have congressional members that are signing on to the climate caucus and they are then sufficient is they the test passed when finally a carbon tax is passed. So you've got all those necessary going. You're, you're approaching some of those sufficient test passed. And I, I applaud you for all the steady work and the great examples. I applaud you, Claudia. Thank you. Thank you. Mark Tabert and Virginia Bernal, both citizens climate lobby activists with the latest on climate change here at Ask a Leader. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks. Houston, we have music. And we'll be back in just a flash with Ani Zonafeld with Muslims for Progressive Values. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Returning to Ask a Leader is Ani Zonafeld. She is founder and president of the Muslims for Progressive Values, a faith based grassroots international human rights organization that embodies and advocates for the traditional Quranic values of social justice and equality for all for the 21st century. Ani has presided over Muslims for Progressive Values expansion to include chapters and affiliates in 12 countries, 19 cities. She's organized numerous interfaith arts and music festivals, participated in many interfaith dialogues, and is a strong supporter of human rights and freedom of expression. She's the brainchild of Literary Zikr, a project that counters radical Islam online and co-editor of Muslims for Progressive Values' first book, an anthology titled progressive Muslim identities, personal stories from the U.S. and Canada. She's contributed to many forwards and numerous anthologies and is a contributor for the Huffington Post, Open Democracy in Al Jazeera. And recently, a few several months back now, she's given a TEDx talk titled Islam as American as Apple Pie. And she, as a performer, she's counter radicalism as she speaks, sings her message of social justice and peace from a progressive Muslim woman's perspective, and is the first woman to release an English Islamic pop album in the U.S. Born and raised Muslim from Malaysia and based out of L.A., Ani spent a good portion of her formative years raised in Germany, Egypt, and India as an ambassador's daughter. Her exposure to different 
politics, religions, and cultures has shaped her inclusive worldview. She completed her bachelor's degrees in both economics and political science at Northern Illinois University. And she was on this last show a couple of times in December and comes once again to us today from Los Angeles. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Ani Zonefeld. Hi. Hi, Claudia. Well, before we get into this interview fully, I really want your help here. I'd like to know the vocabulary you're using to describe the activists, the movements that are clashing now in the streets in the political forms. I'm struggling myself with some of the nomenclature. So to, to the for those Islam, Islamophobic other groups, what kinds of terms are you using to describe the people squaring off right now in the streets? Well, they're the one that's dominating our global view, our grassroots view, and I think the American public in general is the the alt right, the Nazis, the um, you know the white supremacists versus the rest of us. And I don't think that it's really an anti-Islam. Or instead of Islamophobia, we we prefer the term misso-Islamia because misso means hate for, not fear of. So misso-Islamia means fear, uh, hate of all things Islam. Precisely. Great. Yeah. That's so. Beautiful. Yeah, which is a much more accurate term than Islamophobia. But that is, you know, Islamophobia is a contrived and sort of an easy term for people to latch on to based off homophobia. So that's become a marketing tool for that narrative, right? So, right. But I think that we, it's really the, the, the conflict right now is the, the supremacist rights against the rest of us and the rest of us is obviously a much larger population and much more inclusive and i think the rest of us have come to terms with the fact that we are in all in it together and i think moving forward though what is really imperative is we must not go violent we must allow them to have their space yes uh, this is very they're forgiving, I suppose, given that, you know, we or I personally have been attacked and threatened by them. But okay. um, I do think that they have issues that needs to be addressed. And the rest of us need to recognize those issues. And the rest of us need to address those issues. And along with those issues, you have released recently a press release responding to what's happened in Charlottesville. I'm going to just excise a quote, and you can give us a, a larger explanation uh, context. But as I quote in your press release, as an American Muslim organization that counters radical ideology of the Muslim stripe, we see no difference between Muslim and white supremacists. That means both of them, the extreme. The ideologies don't die with the destruction of monuments. Removing or destroying monuments is a temporary fix to an ongoing issue. Correct. Did you want to say more in what you wanted to convey in your very yeah. press release? Um, you know, th this is a particular mindset, and it's this ideology, whether it be extremist Muslims or the, the white supremacists, they come from the same mindset. They come from hate. They come from intolerance. And they have their issues. And I think when we, as, as a Muslim organization, when we deal with the radical Muslims, we go to the root of it. And the root of it, in our particular case, is the bastardization of the theology and how that theology is being used to justify their actions and their belief systems. But then why are they so full of hate? What is the cause of it? So there are a lot of social issues that underpin that radicalism. And it's the same with uh, the white supremacists. They have... They use the supremacist ideology to fluff over their insecurities. And their insecurities is their social identity. It's they feel that their identity is under threat. So when the left is being accused of we're playing identity politics, it's actually Trump who has been playing on identity politics, and it is the, the supremacists, the white supremacists that have been playing on identity politics and using that as a crutch to justify their hate, the ideology of hate. And on the issue of monuments and the issue of all that represents the slavery and Jim Crow era, um, you know, I've traveled to South Africa, and the one thing that's been, how that has been used, their ugly heritage has been used to, as an educational tool, as an, you know, where they create, where the slave 
museum is basically where slaves were housed. That's been turned into a museum, and monuments have been all collected. Um, you know, so it's 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 very powerful, and I think what's really my suggestion is to house these monuments at the African American Museum in Washington D.C. and have a space where, you know, what you want to worship your white supremacists, you're going to have to go through the whole slavery history before you get to it, there and you are. Um, <laughs> then there's no avoiding it, right? There and there's the two sides of the coin of the, right. the Jim Crow of white supremacy and the, and the social justice. So you're talking about the squaring off. You've been in so many different forums. I'm thinking of the the one that you convened uh, was Fear Inc. Confronting Islamophobia in America. Oh, no, no, that's Reza Aslan's forum. We'll we'll get yep. to a, that in a moment. What I want to make the remainder of with our time together is the theme being what kinds of Forums are really working. And at the Politicon in Pasadena, you convened a group, and that the title is the... It was Refugees, Radicals, and Republicans. Thank you. And that panel, and you convened Adam Husley, a journalist, Bassam Youssef, we know him as the Egyptian satirist, and uh, with many accolades lately, Dr. Halei Sedizagdeh, and yep. Hassan Piker from the Young Turks, and then Robert Davi, and he was the uh, the Trump supporter to sort of fill out the whole the realm, flesh out the whole sort of many dispositions. Yeah. But I don't know if there's any kind of behind the scenes, how much control you had over setting up that forum, and what you think you got out of that. And you really did an amazing job. But tell us what we need to know was sort of going into that, and what came out. Thank you. Yeah, so I've moderated a lot of panels, that, but that was a tough one. Yes. <laughs> it was tough because you had all these alpha males, but also, and thank God for Dr. Hile because she was the Zen, the woman, uh, the Zen on the stage. And it was extra hard because you had these, you know, there were hecklers that were just a waste of everybody's time and that sucked up a lot of unnecessary energy out of the room. But the Politicon was fantastic. It, they were amazing to work with they made my work so easy everything was set up they got the speakers they, they went ran, we ran they ran it by me do you want this who do you want and then they just worked towards it oh i see um and with the title and uh i worked it out with dan uh, one of the founders of politicon and uh, and so we had a great collaborative relationship and i experienced for me anyway one of the best collaborative experience actually so I, i'm definitely going to do it again and what I liked about it is that I had a chance to work with the, the speakers, some I knew and some I didn't. And also to, for me, you know, it was important to have someone like Robert David to establish a relationship with someone like him because they are seen as always on the opposing end. And, and yes, we, we disagree on issues, but I think there is, I find that Americans, when they are given the right information, correct information, they do come around. I am, I've seen it uh, through my years of activism. So I, I don't see it as us against them. I see as us, all of us, even the Republicans or even the Bernie supporters who voted for Trump as being still part of us. I will give them a hard time, but we are in it together as Americans. Well, I, I guess I, there's, in the interest of time, I'll refrain from evaluating the strengths of the arguments <laughs> of them on the panel. I, I think it was a, there was a literacy issue with someone, that, with the actor bringing the, the sort of a, the conservative disposition. He's kind of, he was a miso-Islamist. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember how I, I negated his position. He, he was talking about the security issue of refugees. And what I didn't do is I didn't turn to him because he was sitting on my immediate left. And Correct. That was actually planned, too, how people were being seated. And I had him seated right beside me. And so that I could have a physical contact with him, too, because I knew he was going to be outnumbered by the audience, and I knew he was going to be viciously sidelined. I knew that was going to happen, and he was. And so I'll make this very public. And, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, compassion is the most powerful tool one can have. 
And I understood his position, but I also negated his position by informing him and the public, look, we had a Syrian member of our community. It took him two years to apply for a refugee status, and at the end of the day, he did not get it. He, in the meantime, at the tail end of that two years, applied to Belgium, and he got his refugee status within 12 weeks. Yes. Just by speaking to the audience that way, without directing it to Robert Davi, he understood that he actually didn't have the right facts, and well, that what I was sharing was actually the real deal. And, and so, you know, so there's, there's a way of explaining and informing the public without attacking people. Well, right? I, I was just sort of struck by his data came from 30 years ago when he visited Lebanon the last time. And so I, I was kind of appalled at how ill-equipped he was to make his case that so much has happened in 30 years. I thought that was quite remarkable. So take what, what happened in that forum, and maybe this is what Reza Aslan, when he was at Irvine's Barclay Theater last spring, and his talk was entitled, Fear, Inc., Confronting Islamophobia in America. And he, his two takeaways, I'll say quickly, and that might have been something that could move on into the Robert Davi followings here, that one was that Reza Aslan made a very clear who actually poses the greater security risks? The I'm going to use your term, I love it, the miso-islamias, the right-wing, the alt-right white supremacists. They're committing more of the, was that 72 yes. to 80 percent of these these crimes, you know, against civilians yes. versus yes. the inverses where the so-called um, Muslim cells that have um, been wrecking havoc. So, and then the other thing, the other takeaway Reza Aslan brought up was the necessity of every Muslim to be an acquainted, acquaint themselves with the insular miso-Islamias to inoculate against their xenophobia. And so I guess Robert yep. Davi hasn't met very many, as you were saying. He's, he's, he doesn't have the case studies. But if the Robert Davis met more of Muslim people, he has less to be illiterate and fearful about. Yeah. Well, I plan on having dinner with him one day, probably. So <laughs> we we uh, we said we'll get together. That's one thing that we conclude on friendly terms. I mean, yeah, after that, we hung out for a little bit in the green room. Okay. But uh, no, absolutely. I think when okay. So one of the things that we also did at Politicon was that we had a booth and we had a constant stream of folks coming to the table. Some were obviously your Trump supporters, and some who were obviously allies. But there was one man who had he. he came up to me and he was you know quite belligerent and uh and he was uh your trump supporter and i would say borderline trump uh, uh borderline supremacist and he says i'm going to put you on facebook live is that okay and i'm going to ask you some questions and he just went right into it and was that okay um, did you give and, him permission and a lot of the yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and fine. you know what? Okay. I am totally fine. Come it's and good. talk to me. I, I don't have a problem. Just don't right, threaten right. me. But what happened was we had a good conversation. I challenged him back, and I said, you know, you and all the spew that he was, the radical theology he was spewing, I, I, I said to him, you know what? You know the radical theology just like the radical Muslims. You know, you're just you're no better than they are. And he had to kind of like check himself on that because it's true. Because these supremacists, and the Trump supporters and all the Miss Islamias, they all have learned the radical theology and they promote that as truth. And that's what I call them out on. If you promote that, then you are no better than the radical Muslims that we are fighting. You are our enemy, too. So you and planted so, the seed with him and you planted it live. That's so powerful. Yes. And yes, and we got a lot of feedback from his uh, viewers, and really? some were positive, and some were negative, and some threatened us through social media. And it says, "Good, now that we have this on record, we'll forward this information to the FBI so that they'll you'll be on their watch because you know they were threatening us that we were on their watch." I says, "Well, no, you are going to be on their watch," and so that kind of like you know put the freeze on all the threats. <laughs> Well, I, that's a positive note, and I think I should, I, I'm sort of hesitant to bring up an analogy, though, I want to carry forward, because I'm sensing that you're chipping away and you're planting seeds. That's super productive, Ani, but when I used the analogy in the beginning of this program, I raised the specter of future catastrophic hurricanes. I'm inclined to ask you something comparable. After Charlottesville and Berkeley was a bit of a mess. Yeah. Are we in for more confrontations? That uh, And what would you prescribe about getting ahead of 
perhaps the, there's a little inevitability in some more confrontations. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the confrontation is the easy. Um, it, it, it's easy. <laughs> That's better. The confrontation is so easy. To sit down and to talk compassionately is the hard work. And uh, we need leaders who are level-headed. We need leaders who can steer the country in that direction. And unfortunately, Trump is not that leader. And that is the unfortunate condition that America is. So we need religious leaders. We need, and I say religious leaders, and we need secularists. We need um, atheists. We need all, everyone, the rest of us, to calm down and to sit down and discuss strategies and to work with those across the aisle. There are a lot of Republicans that don't want the conflict either, but there are going to be the extremes on both sides who, who love conflict. It's not doing the country any good. And I think we need to, uh, this is going to be the, the most challenging part. I don't have a good solution. For me, what has always worked is conversations. What has always worked has been reaching out across the aisle. That's, that's how I know how to operate. Fighting back, does, I've, I don't know that language. I don't know how to do that. And, and it's, not, it's, it's not what I do. Yeah. Anya, as we're we're drawing down, I'm I'm going to just ask as we wrap up, we're not going to get to the female genital mutilation, which is a, a an issue you're working. Oh my attending God, to. we have to we, soon. We, we have to have you back up on in Detroit. We're coming up in October. And uh, really quickly, we sent a letter to the prosecutors, and we said this has nothing to do with religion. This is a cultural practice. Do not allow for this case to be framed as a religious freedom act, which Alan Dershowitz has joined the. Def- Defense team yeah, of that. Yeah. The, the, the that particular Muslim community in defense of FGM under the realm under this legal framing of Re- religious freedom act, and we are just so appalled at Alan Dershowitz, and we are definitely on the side of the prosecutors. And so, what date is this going to trial? Or you, you it's going to trial in, Oct- in October. In October. What I wanted, though, as you we conclude rapidly here is. Where will we find on the YouTube what your interview was with that uh, the uh, Miso Islamia fellow that you uh, did at the Politicon? With the which fellow? The man at the Politicon booth that streamed you live. Oh, are we going? Um, are we able I will, to see I will that? Have to email it to you. I have to dig it out. All right, and I'll post that. I'll post okay. that link on the podcast summary so people can do that. Well, okay. my guest is Ani Zonefeld, founder and president of Muslims for Progressive Values, a progressive Muslim voice on contemporary issues. Thank you so much for being on the program today. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Claudia. Thank All right, you. Bye. That was my wrap. It will be nice of my guests next week to dust off the Labor Day glow to appear on Ask a Leader. First, Monica Kurka and Rashad Aldabak will bring their Refugees Welcome Guide, fresh off the press, a beautiful and remarkable piece of work. Then, Dr. John Peng, Chief of Water Quality Planning at Orange County Public Works Environmental Resources, has been developing a system for recharging local groundwater with the stormwater runoff. Oh, but could that have been done in Southeast Texas right now? And honey, talk with you next week. Thank you everyone for listening.